everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Brad Large. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Joel Schobert. Hey, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest, and that's Tess Ball. Tess, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi there. Thank you guys so much for having me. I am the founder of the Heart Driven Business Academy. I've been in marketing for 12-ish years, I'd say, and I've, uh, I've been a small business owner on and off throughout my life. So I've kind of married those all together to, to provide education to small business owners. Most front-end developers and web designers would like to earn a side income or freelance full-time, but they don't know how to get started, how to price their services, and how to get clients. Kyle from studywebdevelopment.com has been freelancing for over five years and had to figure it out and learn on the go. He created a practical bundle to help others interested in freelancing, which has been downloaded by thousands of people with great reviews. The bundle not only provides you with the necessary templates to get started, but you'll also learn about earning a side income, getting clients, growing a freelancing business, and much more. You can get 20% off the complete bundle with the coupon code DEVCHAT at studywebdevelopment.com freelancing. Awesome. And uh, yeah, we connected on LinkedIn. It was interesting because we... Uh, we connected over podcasting and then started, you know, mentioned that you do marketing, automation, business systems. I'm like, well, dang, <laughs> let's have you on the show. So uh, yeah, it, it seems like marketing and especially uh, marketing automation, you know, all the business systems, things like that. Um, that's something that most freelancers that I talk to struggle with. You know, right. we're pretty good at doing whatever our clients pay us for. Um, we're pretty good, hopefully, at sending invoices and getting paid for it. But finding new customers, that's always the challenge. And uh, yeah, before the call, I said, so where do we want to start? And you said, well, that's what people ask me all the time is where, where, do, where do people start? So yeah, if, if you're a freelancer and you've kind of gotten in, you've found a few clients, but you're not really sure where the next client's going to come from, where do you start? Yeah, so... I think this is going to vary individual to individual, right? Like we all look online and we see these like five Instagram, ha Instagram hacks to get your ideal customer in your door or like six easy steps to make your first hundred thousand dollars. And while that would be so nice if that worked, right? We would all love that magic bullet answer, but it really depends on what you're working with, who you are, what you like, who you're trying to connect with and what you can control. I always like to start with what I can control. Um, oftentimes we see, you know, go ahead and put out some Facebook ads. Well, it's not really easy to control that. Go ahead and uh, do X, Y, Z. And it's five steps from where we're at. So I like to look at like, what do you have in your toolbox? How do you naturally like to meet people? How do you like to socialize? How do you, how do you like to spend your time? Do more of that thing but do it in a way that's gonna get people in your door. So if you love going to parties, go, go network. If you love sitting behind your computer, figure out how to sit behind your computer and, and do the thing. That makes sense. It's, it's funny because uh, we're the consultants, so the it depends answer is supposed to be our answer, not your answer, but. Ha ha, sucka. <laughs> right? So, so that makes sense. You know, I, I talk to people about their careers, you know, building careers in software development and it's the same thing, right? It's like 
figure it out. Do you like to write blog posts? Do you like to record audio? Do you like to contribute to open source? So yeah, I mean, this, this really does boil down to what your preference is, but how do you figure out what that is? I mean, people in a lot of cases, including mine, especially when I got into freelancing, it was, yeah, I, I mean, I still, that, that wouldn't have helped me much because it would have been, well, I kind of like whatever I like. Right. And I don't, I don't even know which of these really applies to me. Sure. So being in marketing as a freelancer for a long time, um, we like to sometimes break it down into media types. Um, and the framework of owned media, earned media, paid media, I like to go there. And what that means is you take a look at your owned media first. That's something like a website, a blog, a landing page, um, a funnel, a podcast, things that you have full control over. Um, I also really appreciate Stoic philosophy. Um, and so what that does is it's like, okay, what do I own? What do I have full control over? If, you know, Facebook got destroyed tomorrow, I know we all, we all hear that, but you know, if what you're putting out doesn't resonate or if the algorithm changes, whatever, like don't worry about that. Worry about what you own. So once your house is in order, once your website actually converts people into leads, once your landing page is actually getting people to click the, the sign up for my email offer, once your email list is converting, then you go onto your earned media and that's stuff like relationship building, stuff like networking, stuff like cold outreach, stuff like social media. That's all stuff that it takes a little bit of elbow grease to, to get some buy-in. It's kind of like your circle that's like one step removed. You focus there next. And then that third option is paid options. Like, you know, your, your standard advertising. Um, so that's how I like to break it down. And if you're a writer, make a list of all your owned media sources. What do you want to do? Make a list of all your earned media. How do you want to put time into developing relationships? And then maybe you hit the paid media later. It's kind of a brain dump. Yeah, it, it is, but it gives you a place to start, right? It's okay. What, what do I control? You know, back to that thing, you know, it's, yeah, what do I own? What, where, where can I start? And so, yeah, it's, what do I already have, you know, and can I set up a website? Can I, you know, can I easily take some of these steps? And yeah, from there, then it's okay. Now, how do I start working with people to get people over to the place that, that converts? Yeah. Um, you have to have a destination. You have to have a place for people to land, whatever that looks like, right? It could be a simple one page landing page. It could be, you know, an email form, a Google form. It could really be as simple as you want to make it. You just want to make sure that wherever people are being sent, they're moving through the process because otherwise you're just wasting your money on networking and it's not clear where people are going to go. Yeah, for sure. I think that a lot of times um, that I've seen marketing efforts get derailed by the fact that they don't have a, a goal. Like they don't have an intended consequence or attended action for the customer client to take. So they get caught up in all the strategy and tactics. But at the end of the day, when you ask them, well, do you want them to share your content? Do you want them to give you a phone call or email you? And they're like, oh yeah, that's, that's a good, I, you know, that's a good question. I hadn't thought about, do I want them to email me? Do I want them, you know, that was one of the first things that I did. I looked at some of the things that are going on that I want a phone call. Like that's my outcome. So I tailored my 
content to funnel people to the phone call, right? But when you when you do these uh, all these different types of channels and efforts, if you're if you don't have that focus on what do you what does your ideal customer going to resonate towards or gravitate towards, and what do you want from that relationship, then how do you get there, right? Yeah, all market all marketing has a value exchange, right? What do you want to get, and what are you giving? Um, and you have to make that clear. If you're expecting people to put those pieces together themselves, you're going to miss out. You have to know, what do I want my people to do? And what am I going to be giving in return? You have to own that relationship, lead that relationship. You're the business owner. If you don't manage that, nobody else is going to do it for you. Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting too. I mean, again, just, just figuring that out. Um, I mean, how, how do you know? how do you get down to, I want them to sign up for my mailing list or I want to get, have them give me a call or I want to have them fill in the lead form. I guess you could try the different methods and see what works, but a lot of people don't even have enough experience to know that. Right. Right. And I think oftentimes a lot of folks jump into this freelance business without realizing it's a business, without realizing that when you, are in business, there are, there are systems to be created. There, there's a flow that you have to manage. Um, and a lot of us are just winging it. And there's, there's beauty in winging it. But when you learn to systematize your efforts, things become a lot easier and you have to start somewhere. So if you are inclined to get people on the phone, create a system for getting people on the phone and start there. Pick one thing. Um, if you want people to engage with you via email, create a ton of marketing that gets people to engage with you via email, but start somewhere. Your process can evolve. It can grow with you over time, but, but pick something, start somewhere, create a system around it because you can always modify your systems. Yeah. I think that's the other thing that, that ties people up is it's like, well, if I build this whole system around phone calls and then it turns out the phone calls, yeah. It's not a permanent decision, right? And right, so, it can always change. Well, the other thing is, is that your content that drove them to give you a phone call can easily be adapted to getting them to fill in a form or email you or whatever else, right? right. The things that get their attention don't necessarily tie to, into phone call or any other medium of connecting, right? You can always replace tactics with other tactics. Mm -hmm. You have to get a flow down, a communication flow, because that's the, that's the thing you're really working out. That's the thing you're really experimenting with. How do I manage the communication? You can plug and play tools, tactics all day. Do you want to schedule your appointments via Calendly or Acuity? It doesn't really matter. Do you want to use MailChimp or Constant Contact? Whatever, it doesn't matter. You can always interchange those things, but nailing down how that flow works. That's the important piece. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting on my end of things. I mean, I've been looking for podcast sponsors, right? So that that's kind of my area of, of things. And what's really interesting about that is that um, when I started the podcast network 10 years ago, 
well, not quite 10 years ago, so it was eight years ago. But anyway, when we started out, initially it was just I would email people and they would email back and we'd set it up and I'd get paid, right? And the podcasting world has changed. And so I've had to adapt, right? And so I've, mm-hmm. I've been updating my systems and doing the outreach, which is how we connected because, uh, um, you know, I think, I think I did a search on marketing or something and then, you know, you got a message about podcasts. And yeah, so it has to adapt. It's not just that it's going to adapt. It has to adapt. And as you're figuring things out, you're going to have to experiment anyway. So what kinds of things should I be experimenting with in order to maximize as a freelancer the, the effectiveness of what I'm doing? Can you say that question again? So what kinds of things should I be experimenting with in order to maximize the effectiveness of my system or funnel or whatever you want to call it? So data, I, I bring everything back to data. Um, I'm, one of, I'm one of those folks and I'm imagining some of your audience, it also falls into that camp. Um, there's, a, there's a place to wing it and your experiment can look any number of ways. But what I like to do is I like to pick one piece of data. Um, experiment with getting that piece optimized and then move on. So what that could look like for me, um, say you want to make sure that the people who land on your page convert so that anybody who's coming to your website um, through any number of outreach methods, you want to make sure that people who land on your website actually do the thing that you want them to do. So you measure one of your CTAs, one of your call to actions. Over time, you make sure that that piece of data is performing well and you create your experiments around that piece of data. Once you know that that's in order, maybe you add in something else. You're like, okay, for every 10 sponsorship opportunities I reach out to, I want to close two of them. So you start tracking that piece of data. And then you're like, okay, so now that both my call to action on my homepage is nailed, now that my you know, outreach is effective, I want to create some efficiency in the system. And so you start layering on whatever matters to you. And if you don't know what matters to you, get a coach. Talk to, talk to people in your industry help, to help figure it out. But I like to, I like to go with the numbers um, because, because I don't lie. I think one of the things that I kind of looked at with uh, when I started out was how to, uh, to pick something, right? Like what, what am I going to go with to measure? And I, I was experimenting with a few different things, but I couldn't really nail down like the channel I wanted my content to be on. So I did like videos, blog posts and, uh, and split the, the difference there and, and tried to figure that out. But what I realized by doing both of those was, that I enjoyed doing video and I could automate the process around it. So I kind of started gravitating towards that. But what I liked about it was that the one metric that I had, which was, you know, getting people to reach out to me or get to my, like at first I had a couple things, then it was just phone calls. I just measured how effective am I at getting somebody to schedule a call. And once I did that, then I realized there were pieces that I didn't have to spend time and energy on. I could just focus on that one thing. So it's, it's interesting that that's your, you know, a takeaway of yours is, is just focus on the, the, the data and that, that measurement. And, and uh, because once I started doing that, I mean, some of the other stuff took care of itself. I didn't have to keep updating my, my blog as much because I could just get my 
customer journey. I call it a customer journey, right? When I talk about the path that my potential clients would take, well, they're going to come to YouTube. They're going to search. They're finding my videos there. So if I can successfully, you know, write some copy or write some something that entices them to go to my website by giving them some value there and then enticing them even more with a value proposition to, to call me. And I didn't make it necessarily the easiest process, but the people that did reach out to me were, you know, good leads. So I just focused on, you know, that one thing. So it's, it's interesting because I guess I, I kind of just stumbled on that. <laughs> and that's beautiful. It's beautiful because you're right. It does help you simplify, clear out some of the clutter. Um, we as humans have a tendency to overcomplicate uh, over everything, right? We're like, I'm going to do the blog and I'm going to do the YouTube and I'm going to get people to email me and call me. And when you really hone in on like, okay, whew, I have this one thing I want people to do. I'm going to measure my, my YouTube videos against it. I'm going to measure my blog against it. You're able to see what's working, what's not. And the, yeah, that data, that data point, it, it just has to be one. It does not have to be complicated. You know, what I like about your approach to us is that um, as a technical person working with my clients, I tend to work with very small entrepreneurs who have so much going on that they tend to have very little time left to know anything about the software side of things. So we end up explaining very basic things and this idea that there is some sort of architecture behind it and you have this website and it does some things and at some point there's some logic and it goes to a database and then you've got data there and then people come and look at that and maybe make some decision from that. That's a pretty common scenario on in any informatics type systems and that one kind of architecture fits with all those. What I like about what you're doing is for someone like me, since I tend to get a client that lasts a long time and then get another client that's often word of mouth, I know very little about this space. Probably as little as my clients know about my space. Mm -hmm. And the idea that you can paint this picture of an architecture of different channels that have things that are owned, earned, and paid with some CTAs in them, some call to actions, and then they're trying to make some, get somebody to do something. I can almost start to picture like the kind of picture I'd be drawing for my clients to explain how a system works. Yeah, it's, and as we were speaking and I saw your hands moving, um, it is visual. If you are a visual person, um, as I think a lot of folks in our industry are, um, it's really easy to see. You have column A, column B, column C. How do you get those people to do the next step? It's, it's a flow chart, right? Um, if you have these different kinds of media, you put them into the flow chart, what, what comes next? Oh, you want them to do a specific task. Once they do the specific task, they go, he map it out. Um, if you're, if you're struggling with the words of it, with the, the ethereal nature of marketing, right? It's, it's not always so like tangible, visceral, um, map it out for yourself. Get out a piece of graph paper. What comes first? What comes next? What comes last? What is that sequence? It's not that different than programming. Yeah. The thing I like about it too is that um, we, we do testing in software too, right? And so just having a test, um, does this get this, you know, because I'm thinking about my sales page for, for sponsorships, you know, and we could be doing the same thing for my sales page for freelancing or anything else, right? And it's, okay, so, um, you know, how many does it convert, right? If I have 10 people come in, does it convert 
two of them, right? If I have 100 people in, does it convert 20 or 25 of them, right? And if it's not, then I can experiment with that and I can work on that, right? And then I can, you know, while I'm running that test, then it's, okay, well, how am I getting people here, right? And so then I can, you know, Brad was talking about doing blogging and video, right? And so I can say, okay, well, I'm going to put up three videos and three blog posts for the next few weeks and see which of those can, you know, come into the page and convert better, right? And so I can run the tests one piece at a time. And, you know, and then it doesn't feel like this big, because we're talking about this system, right? But the system is made up of these little parts that are very tangible and testable. And, and that's what I'm liking out of this is that it's like, okay, I just need to know what the numbers are and then see what I'm doing that improves them. Yeah. And, and it's going to take some time, much like anything you're testing. Um, it's not going to be next month that you have all the magic answers. When you test these components individually over time, you'll get some really solid answers, but just know that it takes three months, six months, a year to really dial in every piece of this system so that it's running on autopilot so that you can stop worrying about your freaking marketing. Yeah, this is great. I think this is at the crux of like, for me, where the big gap is to leap as an engineer, technical person over this marketing mindset. Just as you two guys were talking, the whole idea in an engineering system or software system of designing something that would move from working 5% of the time to 10% of the time, that's not something we generally do. When we make a website and it's supposed to do a certain thing when you press this button, it's supposed to work nearly 100% of the time. And all our tests try to get it there. If someone finds one case where it doesn't work, that's a bug. So this idea of now we're going for a statistical definition of success, it's a really big mind shift for an engineer. Yeah, but That's we really do with per performance anyway, right? I mean, if you're writing a website, you know, it, yes, it is a different mindset even for performance testing, right? But mm -hmm. for the website, it's the same thing, right? It's how do I optimize my code so that it'll run faster, so that it'll be more efficient, so that it'll connect to these other systems better, so that, it, you know, so that my query into the database is, is more efficient, more effective, you know, so that the queries come back more quickly and things like that. So we do it. But yeah, generally we're starting with just the correctness and the correctness is mostly 100% one way or the other. If you have a client, you have 100% correctness. Now you just have to, you know, improve the efficiencies of your systems. Like if you have work, just give yourself the, the carte blanche, okay, the system works and move forward and think of it like, okay, how can I optimize the speed? How can I... Um, make the system more efficient, but like, it's working. If you have work, it's working. <laughs> Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. One other thing that just comes to mind with a lot of this is that I've had people come into a system 
you know, that I've either met online or met at a conference or things like that. And as I get to know them and build a relationship with them and things like that, that eventually is what converts them down the line. If we're looking for that point where they kind of change over from one to the other. And we all do this as human beings, right? So, you know, Brad's my friend, Joel's my friend, Tess is my friend. Well, how are we friends? Well, I learned that if I talk to people about these specific things or in these specific ways, or I tell stories or, you know, I connect on these levels that, you know, people like Tess are going to want to be my friend, right? And so we do that. And I think there's a little bit of that, that generally, if, if, as we engineer systems, we kind of leave that out, right? Because we're just trying to get an engineer, a system that's reliable. But the reality is, is if you bring this other piece in, and you bring your humanity to bear, right? And you start talking about who you are, and why you do what you do, and why you like to do it, and, and what the payoff for you is, and they kind of see that other piece of you, that that is as much this whole process as anything else. The difference is is that yeah, for some people they're going to identify with it, and other for well, for other people they won't. But you know, again, it's it's all part of the same system. As a freelancer, you have to be a human, and you have to market to humans. As soon as you take that piece out, it's not going to work anymore, right? Like customer service. I wish, there was a, I wish there was a better name for it, but your customer experience is everything. If you don't fulfill that, no amount of marketing you do is ever going to make up the difference. Um, so absolutely be human. And, and that brings up a really good point too. What are the people that you're working with saying about you? What are the conversations you're having with your existing clients that really excite you? And you'll start to notice these opportunities for quote unquote marketing. Yeah. We connected because you reached out and talked about, let's talk about podcasts. I love that stuff. If you notice that when you're human and you, you open up and you reach out to people and you're like, Oh, as soon as I start talking about this thing I love to do, people resonate with it. And then they come to me, Mm -hmm. you hit gold, but you kind of have to throw those pieces out based on who you are. You can experiment with that too, right? I mean, I could have just as easily sent a Star Wars message or something else that I'm really a fan of, right? And, and look for people that had that other thing that I could connect on. And, and that may be where you start to bring people in. So it can be anything. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely more on the introverted side and was completely insecure and um, very nerdy. Most of my early adulthood even. And... I treated even my socializing like this experiment, right? Like, okay, when I talk about this, what do people resonate with? And it's amazing when you, when you stop that judgment, you're like, oh, my marketing can't sound like this, or I can't do outreach like this. I couldn't possibly put myself out there in this way. When you treat it as an experiment, all of a sudden there's like very little judgment. You're like, oh, I'm just, I'm just testing numbers. When I send out a hundred messages about podcasts, a hundred messages about Star Wars and a hundred messages about dog videos. And I notice that like the podcast messages really connect with people. Great. I want to see Joel experiment with TikTok, dancing on TikTok. You know, here's something, here's something interesting about this whole thing. This idea oh, yeah. of 
it's a little bit of a numbers game. And just doing the one thing you've always done may not be enough if you've just been too conservative. You go experiment and try some different things. You were saying, Tess, you even did that with conversations with people, trying to figure out if I talk this way about this thing, what resonates. And the idea of adding enough variation to get some feedback from everything around you as to how you're really connecting and when you're not connecting, that idea is fascinating. And, and as long as you're willing to try some new things, it doesn't have to be super hard. Precisely. I don't know so if it'll a be question. on TikTok though. <laughs> I'm that's pretty sure you would, as... you would get some, uh, you'd get some leads from your TikTok dance videos. <laughs> We've been talking a lot about like experiments, right? And as I was getting started, I tried blogging about certain subjects and I would do these experiments and I'd run different content pieces. But one thing I really, really struggled with was uh, spending time on something that I felt like was ineffective and wanting to move on to something else but then also making sure that I gave enough time for that to be effective and to see some results. So do you have any guidelines on like timeframes for testing this stuff out? Like if you're doing video versus blogging, like we'd said, what's a good timeframe to really know that you're giving it enough time, but not shorting yourself on other efforts. Right. I think so here's, here's how I look at it. I am a rock climber. And every time I get on, on to a particular route, I want to make sure that I'm consistently moving forward. If I slip once, okay, cool. I get back on the wall and I try it again. But if I notice that there's this downward trend, I pack my stuff up. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try a different problem. So the time frame, I wish I could give you like, okay, try something for 90 days. But... I think what's most valuable because every experiment you run is going to be different. Start to look for trends. If you get month over month growth, keep going. Um, if you get, you know, six months of growth and then you, you have a month where you start to slip, try picking it up again. But if you start to see a downward trend or if you start to hate what you're doing, pull the plug. Um, certain platforms take a little bit longer than others. So I would say if you're adding something new, give it at least three to six months to, to see what's, what's happening. Um, you're not going to get success with anything in, you know, 30 days, but start to notice those, those trends. Does that help? Yeah, I think that's really helpful. I think the platform specific, uh, there's a lot of nuance there. So I'm glad that you spoke to that because I hadn't really thought about that when I was asking the question. But so for instance, like when I did YouTube, I was terrified to do video, but I started doing it because it seemed like the cool thing to do and I could automate a lot of stuff around it. So I started doing that, but I did see growth there. So then I was like, okay, well, and that's kind of one of the things that, but there were other uh, avenues. Like when I was blogging, I would change direction if I didn't see growth for a while. So it's good, but like blogging can take a lot longer of a time frame than posting on LinkedIn. If you're doing direct outreach on LinkedIn and you don't get results, you know, at least some people hitting you back in a couple weeks, you at least tweak your tactic there. Cause it's, that's pretty tough to not get any traction on LinkedIn in a couple weeks. But you know, as far as actual clients, it may take longer. Like you were saying, there are definitely different lead times for different platforms. So. Can I, no. can I ask a question here too? Oh, go ahead, Joel. You know, I really like this idea of measuring whether you continue to go on by whether you're still having a feeling of moving forwards or going backwards. 
And I, I also rock climb, which I find interesting. But for me, that wasn't my first sport that I got good at. And I was not an athlete in high school, didn't play any sports, was not coordinated. And then the first sport I really um, excelled at was uh, bicycle racing, probably in my late 20s, early 30s. Had an actual coach, followed a plan, and learned what it took to get really good at something. And after that, I, if I knew what that felt like in one sport, I could tell in another sport how if I was moving forward or not. My guess would be if it's your very first time doing any channel and marketing, you might feel kind of lost and not have a real good guideline for whether you really are moving forward or not or what the time frame should be. That's a really good point. Um, anytime you're putting yourself out there in a new way, it, at least for me, it feels really awkward. I feel like I'm wearing just like this jacket that doesn't fit right. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't, it's easy to get lost. Um, and if you rely on, on your feelings about it, um, it's going to be extra confusing, which is why, which is why I look at data. Um, forward movement can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Sometimes it means like you have more, say you're tracking your time. And you realize that creating, um, doing your LinkedIn networking takes you five hours one week. And then the next week it takes you four hours. And then the next week it takes you three and a half hours. That could mean you're creating some efficiency in the system. That could mean forward progress. For others, it might be, you know, the first week, 80% of my LinkedIn messages get read. And then the next week it's like 85% get read and replied to. Um, so pick the metric, whatever it is, that helps you feel grounded, that helps you feel like you have something to latch onto so that you're not feeling so lost. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be any prescribed metric. You get to make it up, but pick one. Does that help? Yeah, that's great. One other thing that I'm wondering, though, because Brad asked, you know, how long do you keep going with your um, your strategy, right? It could be, you know, I'm going to connect on LinkedIn. I'm going to connect on Facebook. I'm going to connect on this other thing. I'm going to do blogging. I'm going to do video. But it also, it feels like there are other variables, right? I'm talking about this particular aspect of, of what I do, or um, I'm answering people's questions in blog posts, or you know, so, so it could be the content, it could be your approach to the content, it could be the actual content strategy. So how, how do you, how you, how do you evaluate those kinds of things? I think in order to know if something specific is working so that, you know, like, okay, now it's time to change a variable. You have to throw it out there enough times to get some data, right? It has to be like almost uh, statistically significant. And so I would say like before changing an approach on your outreach, throw out at least, you know, 20 or 30 messages to see what that feedback is going to be like. If you're trying to find sponsorships, email at least like 15 of the same stock email, if that's what you do. Um, or an email in the similar tone so that you know, okay, is this working? Because you don't wanna like every email you send out, you change. Cause then there's really nothing to measure. You don't wanna throw it all at the wall and see what sticks. Try to have a, a data set that is, that matches 
what you're trying to measure. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. Again, you just start putting it out there. You see what clicks, get feedback, keep moving. Sometimes putting it out there is the hard part too. Like people make content or come up with different plans, but then they underestimate or I not underestimate, they overestimate how much it's actually getting out into the world. And that can be a big difference maker. If you're really not getting your message out there, if you're not posting enough on LinkedIn or, you know, uploading a video regularly on YouTube, then, and you're not, you know, promoting it. Um, and that can take time, right? 